I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! The Roll for Initiative podcast. This is volume number three, issue number 145. DM Vince sitting with DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And DM Nick. Hey, everybody. And DM Chad is off this week. Uh, he is off doing DM Chad things, so he'll be back next week, hopefully. Anyway, on to the show. So, Nick, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Um, good question. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, okay, fine. <laughs> now, um, thank just, you, Nick. Matt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> stay on target. Um, just really getting ready for uh, Origins which will be in a couple of weeks from now since we've formed the recording of this show. Yeah. Other than that, uh, doing more with the uh, new Castle Greyhawk campaign, which is coming along really well, I have mentioned in the past. And um, that's pretty much it. Not a whole lot else on the, on the, uh, on the gaming end. So, yeah, not a whole lot else. Um, okay, for me, I've been running my week, uh, bi-weekly AD&D life campaign, pretty much, so to speak. No epic stories, just running a weekly campaign. I'm going to be, in August, switching over to West End Games Ghostbusters for a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, run that for a little while, see how that runs. Give a little break from D&D and go back, you know, recharge the D&D batteries, you know, the usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting ready for North Texas RPG Con this week, depending on when this goes out. And um, uh, either will happen already or is about to happen. And it all depends on when Matt's uh, preg- pregnant ankles let him actually do something. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Just pregnant ankles. Yes, they're very, very, very pregnant ankles. <laughs> Not so Matt, just pregnant, but very pregnant. Yeah. What have you been doing with your pregnant ankles there? Uh, not a whole lot because, yeah, the joys of you get a strep and the next thing you know, the fat tissue and your shins are swelling up to the size of grapefruits. Wow. Not fun. But, uh, yeah, so really not a lot of gaming. I did make a purchase, so I finally picked up Toon and the Toon Ace Catalog. So. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah, oh. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I found both of those at half price books for fifteen dollars com- total. So oh, I'm like, I have to buy these. Tune is such a great, like one shot beer and pretzels game. We've got nothing else going. Oh, on. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those here. Let's just have some wacky, silly fun and yep. just go crazy and have a blast. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem with that game is, other than being really, really fun, that's not a problem, though, is that if you throw some really hardcore D&D players into it, they have no clue what to do with their own game. Right. Yeah, they might hate it. <laughs> Albeit, I am curious at this point, what if you tried running, like, a Sin City-style game in Tune? Hmm. 
Like, run. That yeah, would be interesting. Yeah. Just, you take the tune rules and all the tune logic, but make it Sin City. It's like, there's this web show from a few years back called There Will Be Brawl. It's basically the Nintendo Super Smash Brothers arcade game, the video games, and all those characters. But if you were to throw them into like a Sin City type noir setting, oh Mar- my gosh. Mario's a drug addict. And <laughs> then uh, Kirby is like a Hannibal Lecter serial killer. And like Donkey Kong's a muscle for one of the uh, mob bosses that like Ganon uh, Link's enemy is one of the mob bosses and Diddy oh Kong's God. another mob boss and it's just uh, same as from uh, the Metroid series as a stripper uh, <laughs> I mean it's just insane but yeah so th- that's an example of how you can take like a light hearted funny ha ha like uh setting and actually make it serious so oh my god yeah it's like nine (laughs) nine short episodes totally worth watching there will be brawl okay there will be brawl yes i'll have to look that one up yeah Yeah. and it also kind of ties into our show today too actually Mm. indeed yes Hmm. well we won't talk about that just yet no not just yet no. Um, so we don't have any stars this week, right, Nick? No stars, but before I forget, I wanted to mention that uh, where I was talking about getting prepped for Origins, and mm-hmm. I think this is going to happen with uh, Gen Con 2, is being the 40th anniversary of D&D, it's already 40 years now, guys. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 40 years. Didn't they just have the 30th anniversary like 10 years ago? Uh, but... They are doing a whole bunch of uh, – I don't know if it's Wizards of the Coast that's putting on, but there's like a 40th anniversary events that are going on at Origins. They might be going on at Gen Con of like classic adventures that you can participate in. And at Origins, they have Tomb of Horrors, Castle Amber, Ravenloft, uh, I think from 3rd edition, the Sunless Citadel. I think that's a three-module. Uh, yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can sign up for these events and play in whatever edition they were written for. So my friend Jeff and I, we got into the Tomb of Horrors one for Wednesday night. So <laughs> we're going to kick off Origins with a big bang and see how far we could get through the Tomb of Acerac, the undying, nice. <laughs> the undead demi-lich dude who, like, will melt your brain. Now, Wizards is doing this, or individual people are doing this? You know, I don't remember. I think Wizards of the Coast might be doing it. Yeah, or it might be like RPGA or something. Yeah. So at least that's what's going on at Origins. I don't know if Gen Con's having the same thing, but at Origins, there's like events all through Origins from Wednesday on, Wednesday through Sunday. They so never do anything for Origins, as well as Wandering. Yeah, the, uh, apparently they really want to kick off uh, the new edition of D&D big time. So, Well, they do have to make up for the failures of 4E, so... Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that cool. goes well, without saying. If you're at Origins, look up Nick and Matt and uh, meet up with them. Yeah. Wear your RFI yeah. shirt if you have one. If Matt, when his pregnant ankles, will let him go. Yes, it, it, yes. If the pregnant ankles cooperate, because the other side effect of having pregnant ankles is walking long distances is not fun. 
Uh, did Chad say he was going to be there? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to try. I'll try to hook up with Chad while I'm there, and or at least some people from Dead Game Society should be showing up. So um, I'm my. I'll be there with my friend Jeff. You know, look for me. I have. I'll have roll for initiative on my tag. DM Nick. So come up to me, say hi, shake my hand. Don't punch me, not in the face at least, and uh, everything will be good. <laughs> and experience points, the first person that punches Nick in the face. Hey! Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no. No? In the face. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's go into some sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. Sage advice. Hey. Yeah. So we have some emails. Huh? You can email us at rfistaff at gmail.com or call us at uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline. Where nobody stands by. No, just, not this week. We give them all the week off. Just a voicemail now. That's all it is. Our first email comes in from Face. Not from the A-Team, but his name is Face. And he says, I'm listening to Volume 3, 143, where Nick and Vince mentioned they don't use and don't get alignment tongues. Well, no, that's not true, first of all, but anyway. I've used alignment tongues in the past and see it in a manner of speaking, a form of speaking of, of spoken communication, more of a language within a language, if you will. By carefully choosing words, you can convey a message of subtext that is independent of the normal usage of words being spoken. He recalls being stationed in Germany and speaking with his friends in front of a non-native English speakers. By using acronyms, jargons, and even inflection of the messages that were conveyed, didn't match up what was being said overtly. Of course, this only worked because we all had the same background. Hmm. You could probably witness this if you got a bunch of Monty Python fans together, but I don't think Vince would like that. Say no more, nudge, nudge. Hey, I like Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do too. I don't No, I, I use alignment tongues. I just, you know, don't exactly get them, but I guess he kind of put it better. If you me. put it that way, yeah, I, I understand. So all my years of 33 years of gaming, I have not used alignment tongue language. I mean, just never... Never came across either as a player or and seen other DMs, you know, DM. They've never used it, as far as I recall. You know, but hey, we're talking a long time ago. My memory gets kind of hazy, so who knows? Well, you are old, Nick, so. I am. I'm 43. In 12th <laughs> century Europe, I would be considered an old man. That's right, old man. Yes. So let's go on to our next email. I am mid. Uh, hello, esteemed DMs. This one comes from David D. He says, or DM David D, excuse me. I am midway through listening to your beginner's guide episode. Like DM Vincent, I don't currently use weapon speed. However, after listening to the podcast, I think it might make the players put more time in considering their weapons and add a little more realism combat, a little more realism to combat order. My question to these hosts that use weapon speed is how do you use strength to offset weapon speed? Currently, if a player has a 17 strength or higher, they would be able to swing that giant two-handed sword a little quicker. Thoughts? Thank you, and keep rolling. 
considering that I don't use weapon speed. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody on the podcast uses it. To be, honest. I don't even think Chad uses it. No, no. He, yeah, Chad's used it. I think in the past, but he's never. But he, it's not something he consistently does. Yeah, yeah. I've never used weapon speed myself. Again, like alignment tongues, haven't ever used it. Never seen it used. Doesn't mean you can't. No, and I mean I can see the benefit of using it. It does make the uh, differences between swords and pole arms uh, a little more important. Uh, yeah. So I mean I totally understand Don't using like them, and it's just for me it speeds up combat by not, and that, yeah. that that's my primary concern. I know. Uh, yeah. As for, though, saying you have a large, uh, higher strength value, so therefore you can swing your sword quicker, strength doesn't always equal speed. And no. it's also more – and really when it comes to swinging swords and things of that nature, there's it's more technique than raw power. Right. So I would, wouldn't uh, give them like a weapon speed adjustment just because they had higher strength. Now, if you wanted to go and say, like, oh, since you have, like, weapon specialization, maybe you shave one off the speed or something, I could see that. Because it's more – weapon speed's more reflection of the bulkiness of the sword and the techniques in you, of a skilled person using it than just, oh, you have more power, therefore you swing it quicker. All right. No. One of the things I don't – if they're, if you want to – he's talking about realism. Um this is where, in my opinion, weapon speed breaks down. Because if you're just going to use, if your argument is weapon speed is a a factor of like being realistic, yes, a dagger is faster than a halberd. But seeing actual combat, and I I've seen this because I've done a few years in the SCA, that person with a halberd's going to knock that person all the way around if he's armed with a dagger. Yep. Mm. Because yeah. he's got the reach. Right. He's going to keep you up. He's going to keep you like five, six feet out. And you're not going to get near him. That's why That's right. why I think the thing with, with weapon speed, it, it, the, the, if you're trying to come with that argument about being, quote, unquote, realistic, I, I don't think it holds any water. Right. Until you start actually measuring the inches between people. Uh, characters in combat, it, you're yeah. not going to get truly realistic. Because, I mean, because technically, yeah. the biggest thing in like melee combat is managing distance. Right, and technically, if you have something like a pole arm or a two-handed sword, or you know something with some length to it, a lance, spear, trident, whatever it may be, you're going to technically go first in melee. Yeah, because, because you got the you got the weapon reach. Right. How? But one, if somehow the, your opponent was able to get past your reach, you have you have a minimum distance you need to be to, need to keep to be effective. And once that gets breached, your spear's kind of useless. Uh, maybe. Well, I, I'm just thinking like if uh you if you're within like six inches like almost like chest to chest your spear isn't doing much it's a glorified bow staff at no. that point no it is not whereas that, that dagger hard. at six inches is really effective you choke up on the spear that's all you could yeah or or you just yeah it, but it, uh yeah di different melee weapons have different effective ranges 
It's mm-hmm. just that we typically don't choose to bog ourselves down with that in uh, melee combat. And there's the rub, right? Because uh, uh, me, I'm sure you're the same way. We want to keep it as simple as possible. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. No. Right. And I don't, I don't even do initiative like by, by the book anyway. I use detail and initiative. So <laughs> that's how I do it. I so. think I think DM Mike said it the best from Save or Die podcast. He noticed, and, and I kind of agree with him, as we get older and play these games, we want to get less bogged down with rules and just have fun. <laughs> so mm-hmm. less time we have to spend on worrying about rules, the more fun the game seems to be for most people. Yep. yep. It could be an age thing, too. Yeah. We just it want our be. stuff to work. It's mm-hmm. it's like think of when you get to, say, like your first computer and you want to, like, build it, tear it apart. You're tweaking it. You're doing all this. About 10 years later, you just want the thing to boot up so you can surf the Internet. Yeah. Yep. You're past exactly. the point of tweaking the thing just for the sake but of tweaking. If you are completely happy with using weapon speed and trying to figure out how – strength might factor into it go ahead i don't have an answer myself because i don't use it i gotta be honest yeah so um right how it work i don't know right but Uh, as long as like if you're happy using those things and your players are happy using those things go for it as long as you feel happy and you're comfortable with it you know hey it's your game you do what you want with it right Uh, and that's the great thing about this game everyone can make it their own Yep. Everything so I've in the, always termed it. It's very modular. Yeah. Everything in the DMG, everything in the player's handbook, they're suggestions, not mm-hmm. r- rules that are written in stone. So figure out what makes the most sense to you. And if you want more realism in your game, great. Go for it. Figure that out and share it with us because there's probably other yeah. people like you. So I guess the short answer is uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make it your own. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Or just don't use it. That's yeah. Or just don't use it. Yeah. Every home campaign has their own internal logic that makes perfect sense in that rule-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all it's important. As long as it makes sense with inside its campaign, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And no one's going to say you're doing it right or wrong here. No, no, right. no. And there's no official RPGA for first edition anymore. There's no official anybody for it. Is there even an RPGA still around? Yeah, there is actually still RPGA. They run events at Gen Con. They're running all the. They're the ones running all the D and D next at Gen Con. Or going to do like Adventures in Time or something or whatever the name of that dumb group they made up. The Copy Pathfinder. Oh, the the copycat of the Pathfinder Society. A copycat that they decided. Oh, let's make our own group up. The Copy Pathfinders idea. Which is a copy of RPGA to be in the end with, but <laughs> right, yeah. The, the 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 idea of having an organized group to run uh, RPG events, it, so people have a semi homogenized experience, isn't horribly new or creative. No, no, it's just copied off of a copy off for a copy. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it gets more people playing and they're having fun, more power to them. Yeah, yeah, of course, definitely. But you think that they would have their own real ideas, but anyway. <laughs> For weapon speed, yeah, granted I don't use it. I don't like playing with it, and I won't play in a game with it because I'm not going to be that one guy that sits there miserable and ruins the game for everybody else. So yeah, I'd rather just sit out of the game and just watch or play my own game with some other people rather than ruin other people's times. That's just me. If you think I'm a jerk for that, then pfft, let's go on to the next email. <laughs> Well, I think that's fair. I mean, why should I ruin other people's times? But why should I be that guy sitting in the game ruining for everybody else? Because I don't like that one role. Yeah, good point. I'm I'm with you there. 
Wouldn't you rather me just leave? Yeah, <laughs> I would. Get out of here now. Leave. Go. <laughs> That's been issue 145. <laughs> okay, so our next email comes in from Steven. He just wants to send a quick compliment. Uh, Thanks for sending chills up my spine with the Tales from the Dark Side music used in the feature intro. That intro always used to creep me out whenever the show came on. I was more scared by the intro than the show. <laughs> Steven. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm... We're glad to do that for you, and uh, just you know, just don't send us the bill from your psychiatrist. Yeah, so. yeah, that's actually kind of funny because I listen to like a like a paranormal cryptozoology podcast, uh, After Dark, and they were talking. Oh of, yeah, and they were talking talking about uh, things people fear, and that was one of the things that kept coming up. Is that theme song and then the unsolved mysteries theme so many people wrote in saying that song gave them the chills <laughs> did they talk about the chupacabra they talked about the chupacabra creepy Zickled sucker yes they they also talked about creepy dolls Ooh. and yeah just all kinds of fun stuff uh and Thank it's you. so but yeah good good I'm, podcast I'm... if you're into that type of thing yeah definitely Okay, so our last email. Oh, no, no, second to last email. Excuse me. Hello, Sages of 1E. In the coming weeks, my party will be fighting with a few orcs. The fighter, seventh level, usually rides a heavy warhorse. War, war, war what? <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Warhorse and fights with a heavy horse lance. In he fights with a like heavy warhorse? What? He, he has a war donkey? Yes, he does. <laughs> and, um, Nick, you're hey. fired. Go home. <laughs> the donkey named Pedro. The war horse. The war ass. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. Yes. Uh, <laughs> with a heavy warhorse lance in situations like this. Can you give me a quick primer on how to treat this combat? Should I give him one pass with the lance and then wait around to turn around and get set to charge again? Should I give the crowd of works a few attacks on the horse as it goes by? Any help is appreciated. Thanks for the podcast. You guys are great. Adam. Well, Adam, we have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. Yeah, actually, we do. It requires yeah, you to dust off a book, Vince. Yeah. No, I know. I don't want to dust off a book. Yeah, well, it's the Wilderness Survival Guide. Oh, there is. On. Yes, there. Okay. The <laughs> Wilderness Survival Guide. My God, mine still looks brand new. Oh, my gosh. Um, the, the orange spine. No, oh, yeah. I have a, a crack in it. Um, page 86 and 87 of Wilderness Survival Guide. They have rules for melee combat from a mount and missile combat. So we'll just focus on the missile, uh, melee combat. So uh, if an opponent is standing on the ground, a character astride a land-based mount who is engaged in melee combat with an opponent standing on the ground has an advantage of plus one to hit if the foe is the same size of the attacker, but receives no bonus if he is larger. So if you're fighting your orcs, you get a plus one to hit. If they're if they were fighting trolls though, or uh, or ogres, there would be no bonus. But on the other hand, a mounted attacker must 
take a minus one penalty to hit against an unmounted opponent of smaller size. So if they were fighting goblins or hobbits, yeah. <laughs> you would have a minus one to hit. Yeah. And yeah. A, a character who is on foot and fighting a mounted opponent, so this is for your orcs, they have a minus one penalty to hit regardless of the size of the opponent. However, if the character's to hit roll is exactly the number he would have needed to hit his foe. Otherwise, his attack hits the mount instead of the rider. So if your to hit was like a 14 and the orc rolled a 14, he hit the mount. Mm -hmm. so, so you have to roll better than that 14 to right. hit the rider, apparently. Right. Character on foot can choose to strike against the mount instead of the rider, which can often be a good tactic. And they have some rules on flying mounts, um, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, but it's in the Wilderness Survival Guide. As far as giving him a pass to the lance, yeah, I would definitely do one round. He attacks, runs past them, and he has to set up the next round again because you can't just kind of really do a 360 with a horse and run again. So. Right. right. Yeah, at that point, it would just come down to the basic movement rules for mounts. Mm -hmm. and how long it would take to readjust and set up. Uh, there was an issue of Dragon that had aerial combat, and it really went into detail. You might want to look in. Covered it. Yeah. Uh, with Jason, I remember. Yeah. Let's see. That was one of the things he was really into was aerial combat. Yeah, yeah they have aerial combat rules in here, too, for the melee right. combat. Right, but it, this went into, like, movement, so you may want to look into use some of those rules just for when it comes to turning and apply that maybe to your mount mm -hmm. since the uh, horse can't necessarily spin on a dime. <laughs> Be awesome if it could. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, that, that would be a magical mount. It, it would be very like friendship is magical, perhaps. Oh, Jeez. God, you did not go there. <laughs> Really, man. I mean, come on. I mean, really. We I have, have we, I have pregnant we have ankles. We have a certain amount of decorum on this show, and you just crossed the line. Yes. <sighs> okay, so going forward, next issue, Matt, you're going back to producer role with a muted mic. <laughs> <laughs> he just did the My Little Pony friendship is magic. Yes. Oh, my oh. God. You give us full attention. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, so there we go. There's your answer for that. Hopefully that helped in yep. your combat with your game. Last email comes in from Jeff. He says, hi, you guys. Just wanted to ask uh, quick questions. How do you keep track of time in your games? I believe we did an issue on that, right? Yes, we did. It was? Yeah. Uh, it was all about time, 121? Yeah, 121. Teaches you how to keep track of time in the game and what to use. I had referenced that one. And his second question is, what's the best way to prevent metagaming? Well, do you have wow. four hours? <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole show on that one. Yeah. <laughs> How to prevent it? Well, the the prevent one it. way to prevent it is don't use tropes. Don't use anything your players could ever have possibly seen before. That's one way. Impossible. No, which that's way too much work. Uh, the second the, thing is the, Yeah, the, the better way is just have your players buy in and get caught up into the role playing at which point they're, they won't metagame because they're so into their characters. They think like their characters. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You have to be, I guess, 
Reader's Digest form, it's a matter of trust. Yeah. If you're with a group of people that you've known and you trust them, then they won't metagame. They won't they won't uh take things that they've that they know that's player knowledge applied to their character knowledge stuff and 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 ruin things. That there's an amount of trust there. And uh I I guess that's the only way I could explain it. Now that's easy to do, I would say, for the most part, in a home campaign, because mm-hmm. there's people that you know. You meet them all the time, right? Right. Now, at a convention, there's no way you're going to get around that unless you announce right up front, okay, this is the game, and rule number one is no metagaming. I mean, you could do that. It's going to be an unspoken rule, dude. Right. It is kind of an unspoken rule, but there are people, they they don't, they don't, they are gaming the system when they met a game, you know, right. they're using what they know about the rules and how things work in the game system in the game mechanics and using them to their advantage, even though we know that their characters would have no freaking knowledge of that, how uh, outside of their worldview of what the game world is. So there are people like that. They game the system. They're not gaming in the game world per se. And it happens at gaming stores a lot, too. If you go to your favorite gaming store or comic book store and they allow you to game there and you meet with weekly people, yeah, you might make some good friends there, but, you know, you're going to get those people that are your friends that game. Like when I lived in Connecticut, one guy when we played, he would always be like during the event, you'd be like, well, what happened to the sword? And he'd be like, what sword are you talking about? Oh, 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 oh never mind. Mr. I read the module ahead of time. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, was always like, well, there's a plus one sword here. Where is it? Oh, there's no plus one sword here. What are you talking about? I read the module. I said, well, now you no longer have that sword. Good luck in defeating that monster at the end that you read about. Yeah, exactly. That's what I did to one player, and that punished the whole party because of that, because one guy was an absolute jerk about it. Yeah, he ruined it for everybody. And I think metagaming, but you know, like you said, it ruins it for the rest of the players. Also, I think it also ruins it for new players because this is entirely new to them. And when you have someone that's doing something like that, they're gaming the system the whole time, then they're going to pick up those bad tendencies of gaming the system of metagaming. And yeah. it, it just ruins it for everybody because they're going to think that's, that is the norm. That's That's how you're supposed to play. Well, in all actuality, you're not. And... I I don't know if it is indicative of what's been happening in the past few years or not. Would you say that metagaming is more prevalent or less prevalent or just about the same as it was in the past? Um, I've been lucky because the group that I've been playing with, when I go to the Reaper store, all those guys are really good guys and they don't really metagame at all. Mm-hmm. Then again, I throw the weirdest crap at people if you've heard any of the actual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what the heck they're up against half the time. But they do like any normal player will do. If like you're fighting a monster, they'll kind of figure it out. I'll go, oh, I think it's this monster. Mm-hmm. Kind of metagaming, but you don't have to agree as a DM. You don't have to say, yeah, yeah you figured it out. Just look at them and say maybe. Well, I I did one thing in my current Greyhawk campaign that – uh, hopes if not eliminate metagaming but keep it down to a, a minimum is well, I think one of the uh, a metagaming aspect is knowing what a monster is and what it does mm-hmm. it's it's weaknesses it's defenses and all that 
and I think that tends to I think that's one of the core things about when you're gaming a system, knowing about all about the monsters. Even though technically, if you're playing a first level fighter, you've probably never seen a green slime before. Right. You've yeah. never seen, you know, a shrieker or maybe not even a goblin for all you know. Well, I'm going to say you might see goblins, kobolds, things like that, little low-level creatures, because a lot of those attack villages when right. looking for yeah. food and everything, so you might have yeah. seen them. Or, or heard of them. You may yeah. not have seen it firsthand, but you've heard someone. It's much like some of your more arcane uh, monsters, your magic mm-hmm. users probably have read about or seen drawings of in their studies. One of the things I've introduced in my game was like, basically identifying the monster that you're fighting and knowing what you're fighting when you first encounter something. And I made it a percentage roll on, in my campaign. So I just, I just did something like that and it works. And basically how I, um, how I worked it out was you take the the character's intelligence and wisdom, add them together, divide it by two, and you get that average. Okay? And that's a percentage. And that might um, fluctuate depending on what your um, what your character class is. Like maybe a mage might have a times two to that, or barbarian might have a 1.5 times to that. So you take that score, and then you add that to the um, the frequency value of that creature. Say it's like I don't know, um, carrion crawler. Say they they first time they're encountering a carrion crawler. Okay, let's say their monster identification is an average of I don't know, we'll say thirteen. Okay. Okay, so in my Greyhawk campaign, this is what I did. I did something like a identify monster skill for everybody. Yeah. And what it starts out is this. Um, you have your intelligence and wisdom of your character, and you divide that by two. That's like your baseline score. And while I'll just use 13, maybe that's your baseline score. And then wh- whatever the frequency is of that monster. And let's say it's a carrion crawler because that's what I opened up to in the, in the monster manual. And the frequency is uncommon. So that's a 20% chance. So I'll add, you know, your 33 to your, your 13 to your 20, that's 33%. Okay. Um, okay now okay. I have some modifiers to that. Okay. So like maybe if you're a magic user or an illusionist, you multiply that by 1.5 and then you do your roll. Um, and then something like that. So they might see something. I'll describe it to them. I'll say, you see something that's multi-legged and multi-tentacled face, kind of looks like a gigantic centipede, but it's got tentacles all over its face. So, um, and they'll do their monster identification. And if they say, okay, uh, I made it. So I'll roll, I'll give like 1d4 uh little tidbits about that creature that they might know. Like I'll say, okay, you know, they get about nine feet long that they, that this creature, this carrion crawler has, um, they can paralyze you with their tentacles, um, and stuff like that. 
So they won't know immediately when they see something, oh, it's a carrion crawler. They're going to have to identify it first. And I also say, you know what? Write it down, what you've seen. So you won't have to roll again when the next time you see a carrion crawler, you know what it is. So that kind of diminishes the amount of metagaming, I guess, you know, and it brings a little bit of mystery back to the game, especially if you have players who are more experienced, you know, they're veteran players that have been playing for a long time. And I, I, I wanted to instill a sense of wonder into the game again. So, and it seems to be working out. Okay. You know, so that's something you can try. Just something I have experimented with it and um, it seems to work. So, you know, give it a go. A little bit of math there. Like, uh, yeah, but yeah, but not a whole lot. It's Even I like can figure it out. You kind of gave me a Scott Steiner math lesson there for a minute, so, <laughs> and that's why they have their their baseline score uh, of their monster identification already written on their character sheet. So right, so he had a thirty three percent third chance of winning, and oh, never mind. So no, it's just monster identification. It's a skill that I've introduced. And some classes are more skillful than others. An illusionist is probably going to have a uh, magic user going to have a better time identifying maybe something than a fighter. Uh, Ranger probably more so than some other classes. You know, stuff like that. Nick, you have to look up Scott Steiner math. You'll yeah, get I don't it. know what you're talking about. It totally went over my head. Uh, so we have a voicemail this week. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline. So I'm going to kick back and play this message and uh, see you in two and a half. Hey guys, DM Jesse here. I wanted to share a story with you that uh, was inspired by uh, one of the scenarios that you came up with on the last show uh, from the uh, the, the role playing aid uh, small uh, little big spaces uh, haunts, um, and that's when you were in the um, when you when you came up with the burial mound with a loud boom. I actually experienced that in real in a real life adventure when I was a teenager with uh, a friend and his dad and my dad. We went to uh, an island in the middle of the Mobile River Delta down in South Alabama, and we were going to look at some Indian mounds on this island, burial mounds. And uh, we went to the biggest one on the island. Um, we, we went there by boat, and just the four of us, kind of uh, winter. So we were dressed formally, and we went up there, and uh, people have been digging on this mound and everything, and been kind of uh, pillaged a little bit. Um, so uh, then my dad and, and uh, my friend's dad just decided to have a smoke real quick because, you know, they'd been walking around for a while. And um, so they lit, they lit their pipes and uh, were smoking, and uh, then my friend's dad starts kind of, imitating the voice of what he thought of as the possible person buried in the burial mound, you know, the, the chief of the, the people who had lived in that place at one time, Native American people. And, uh, you know, a little bit mocking, you know, and, and they were laughing and cutting up. And then out of a clear blue sky, I kid you not, a bolt of lightning struck a tree on the mound, and we ran like heck to another one of the mounds on the island. I don't know what made us want to go to another mound, but anyway. And, you know, just totally white-faced and, and out of breath, and, you know, it changed our lives. We, I don't think we ever uh, took anything like that uh, 
so lightly anymore. But um, so there you have it, a, a real life version of the burial mound and the loud boom. Thank you. Has it wow. Yes. Watched any movie ever in his life or his family to know never make fun of Native Americans or anybody from Hawaii. Come on. Yeah. Wow. That was just too cool. Yeah. Do not take the lava rock from Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do not Damn, be. Wasn't that a Brady Bunch episode? Yeah. That's what we were referencing. Yeah. Yes. Don't take the tiki little tiki doll. Yeah. But, so never make fun of Native Americans if we've learned a lesson in our life. Yeah. Yes. That was. That Especially when you're on top of one of their burial mounds. Yeah, and a bolt of lightning strikes. Yeah. You're lucky uh, it was a warning shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They could be a couple dead pale faces at this point. Yeah. Who who knows yes. what's actually buried in the burial mound at this point? It could be. <laughs> yeah, you just ticked off the old Indian shaman of that tribe. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So that's what we have this week, and uh, that'll wrap Sage Advice up. You want to give us a holler, you can go to rfipodcast.com. We have a contact uh, page on the website. You can send us an email in case you don't want to use your email. You can send us an email, rfistaff at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail, 570-865-4310. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on G+. Or you can head over to osrgaming.org and chat up in the forums and just chat back and forth with us. Even Nick, he does go there once in a while. Once in a while. Yeah, once in a while. I only talk on forums when I actually feel like I have something to contribute. Or bitch about. Well, that too. And that, I think, is a contribution. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Is it? It is. Okay. So now they're saying that, let's head into Table Matters. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Here we go into table manners, everyone. And this week, I guess we're going to do a quote-unquote roundtable discussion on uh, types of campaigns, particularly serious campaigns versus silly ones. You know, something between something that's really hardcore uh, series versus something that's a little more lighthearted, maybe even campy or what have you. So um, I don't know. It's kind of start out the discussion is here is I guess maybe what determines the tone sometimes is maybe what game you're playing. What yeah. did you say? It also depends on the group of your players, too. Yeah. Sometimes your players want that serious, nitty gritty you know, gung-ho, fight the monster, give us the riddles type campaign. And then there's every once in a while you can throw in that, uh, throw in that little goof here and there. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on your players, to be honest. Right. Yeah, it can. Absolutely. Right. I think because with any game system, you can really run a serious game or a silly one. I re- like the example I give him with Toon. You could run Toon total straight serious using the tune rules just stick it in the world of sin city boom (laughs) you have a dark gritty campaign using the tune rule system so the rules do not limit you to a genre it's just they may be better suited for specific things but you can make it whatever you want you could run slapstick call of cthulhu if you really wanted to you could you could i've i played in a game 
at Origins. That was a Call of Cthulhu game, but it was Clue of Cthulhu, where we used the Clue board, oh, cool. and each of us played a character out of Clue. I was Colonel Mustard. It was rather lighthearted, because yeah. uh, also my character went insane, but... Yeah. <laughs> But it was a rather kind of lighthearted, tongue-in-cheek sort of game, and it was really fun. For a Call of Cthulhu game, it was rather surprising yeah. right. and very refreshing. Yeah, I, so it really comes down to more your players. What do they mm-hmm. want out of the gaming experience? Do they want that serious drama-filled, or do they want to just gather around once a week and have a good laugh and have fun playing games? Right. I guess one way you can look at like I said, it depends on like – what what game you're playing for example like you said tune most of the time tune for example tends to be a more it is lighthearted slapstick comedy call of cthulhu most of the time tends to be more serious more dark more gritty type of game you know i think other games though but it does like but like the examples that we gave doesn't mean it's like that all the time. There are some exceptions to the rule. Now, other games like D&D, for example, is neutral in that respect. Right. It can lend to either or. Uh, so you have you have uh, games like that where it's just it, it really depends on, like you said, the players and the DM and what they want out of the game, too. You right. know? Right. Uh, But what I think with silly campaigns, I think they have a shorter life expectancy Mm. than your serious ones because unless you're really great at pacing and comedy, humor's really hard, whereas drama and seriousness, I think it's easier. Mm -hmm. So the jokes and the the funny and the absurdity can kind of get tiresome after a while. Right. So if you're running like – so I usually, I personally usually think extremely silly, wacky games are better as one shots than long campaigns, right? For that reason, so that way you don't get burned out on the jokes, the uh, wackiness of the situation, because there's a lot of humor in just the initial one time. Okay, this setting's just absurd, ha ha. But mm-hmm. after you're in it a while, it's not that absurd, it, right? Um, it was like I've heard uh, – listened to some uh, live play of uh, a Savage World game, a couple of them. One mm-hmm. was My Little Ponies of the Apocalypse. That's based <laughs> in one episode, Matt. What is going on now? Yes. <laughs> the, and then there was the companion piece. The care, the, it was like the Care Bears of the Deadly Sins. Oh my so God. you were Care Bears, but you were each a deadly sin. And then you ended up doing battle – with the My Little Ponies of the Apocalypse. <laughs> and it was all because, like, the Care Bears and the My Little Ponies had a giant war, and it somehow the Smurfs got slaughtered in the process. And when you listen to it, you just laugh at the absurdity of, okay, you have My Little Pony Pestilence, My Little Pony War, My Little Pony Death, and then Care Bear Lust, Pear, Care Bear gl- uh, Glutton, and so on. And it's funny, it's but if you were to play that every week, you're like, okay, the joke's old, and, and then it just becomes like any serious RPG game, except yeah. you're fluffy bears and sparkly ponies. Dead silence. Yeah, and that, that, that's usually what happens when you overstay your co- comedic welcome. 
Yeah, it, the 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 the, uh, the joke tends to die there on stage. Right. It's like the yes, the parrot is dead, mm-hmm. and it's going to stay dead. Mm-hmm. It's not going exactly. to be revived. It is dead. Now there are some games that are, for example, like humor. They have they are humorous, but the tone of humor is um, is definitely different. For example. Starting with Tune is kind of like our baseline slapstick. You have a game like Paranoia, which is humor, but it's a dark humor. It's a black humor to it. Right. Yes, it has some slapstick points to it, but the humor involved with it is more like, to use an analogy, would be like the movie Brazil. Yeah. It's more Hitchhiker's Guide humor. It's more Hitchhiker's Guide humor, exactly. So, uh, there's humor in that game, but it's a it's more of a dark, it's a black comedy kind of humor, you know. Um, the, you have games like, well, um, the, the game I'm going to be running is considered this uh, a joke game too, the Ghostbusters game. Ghostbusters, right? But okay. I would I would again, it, that's and that's that was made by West End Games, right? Yes. Yeah. That's- but I would put that in a category like par- paranoia. There, it's more of a dark humor in some places, a little black comedy. Right. But think of the movies. Know. The movies yeah. were comedies, but they weren't wacky ha ha comedies. It was just they had some funny one liners. But you could totally play those situations straight too. Sure. And have absolutely. like a scary dark movie. It mm-hmm. can go either way depending on your presentation. Sure. Absolutely. Like, there is uh, an actual play podcast for the Ghostbusters one, actually. Oh, no kidding. Uh, Nerdy Games, I think it's called. And it's called Ghostbusters Resurrection, and they use the original Ghostbuster rules. And it's an actual play podcast, so if you're not interested in that, don't worry about it. But it uh, has some really cool, like, they had an episode where they went and fought and tried to find um, the reason why this ghost with the most was uh, haunting this place, and it happened to be Beetlejuice. So, <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, how awesome. They introduced Beetlejuice into the Ghostbusters universe. Yeah, Perfect. so it was kind of cool how they did that, and that's just an example of what they can do. That Actually, I'm thinking about that's freaking brilliant. Yeah. They uh, also introduced the Necronomicon from uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I guess, so, uh, so that's definitely like a dark humor, black comedy yeah. kind of stuff. I like that. that. They took stuff from the real Ghostbusters cartoon and they introduced it and made it a little more serious. And so you can do whatever you want with those type of games. It doesn't mean because it's that it has to be a joke game. Or I've had people play Ninja Pizza for about five games and be serious, which is not a serious mm-hmm. game whatsoever. But. Uh, I mean, and another game that lent itself to humor, but it was more of a parody of itself was Hackmaster, Hackmaster 4th Edition when it came out. Right. I know those... people it seriously, though. I did. Yeah. I let's see when we ran, I probably ran the longest campaign with Hackmaster fourth edition. I mean, uh, gosh, seven, eight years. And that was a game where it's on, it's a, it's parody aspect is in there. I mean, you read through the rule books. There's some, you know, funny, you know, kind of tongue in cheek humor, cheek humor there, but there's some other things that are actually built into the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're obviously, you know, you know, there are humorous elements, but they're like magic items. Like what was that? Uh, uh, gauntlets of wuss slapping, for example. You know, um, you have you have skipping Betty fireballs. Uh, 
So, okay. yeah. Huh. Um, but there's, but most of it, the humor isn't forced. You see, the humor, I when it, when when humor is forced, I think it it, it loses its comedic uh, charm. It, it it loses something. It's just when people force the humor on you, it's just it's not. It just doesn't work. I think people, when they looked at that game, it's like, oh, oh, it's not, it's not to be taken seriously, you know. But it really is any game, to be honest. But it it doesn't mean you couldn't play it as straight up as a regular, you know, RPG. I I looked at it as like, you know, a combination of like first and second edition AD and D with some other crunchy bits added in. I mean, seventy five percent of the game was. AD&D, the other 25% was like little other things that they added uh, from like, you know, like the honor stuff and and some other things. But the comedy, I think, was not necessarily a crucial element to the game. Now, when they had to produce their adventures, yes, there was some sort of tongue-in-cheek humor and stuff here and there, and that was all because of the copyright thing they had. Right with wizards of the coast that was that was part of the reasoning behind it but um i don't know hackmaster is one of those games where you could play it straight or not i mean i don't know yeah. i never had a problem with it yeah i and really any game could be like that it's like a yeah. like the uh, tmnt that could easily be like the cartoon or the comic two yeah, completely you know different what? ends of the spectrum that is a really good example that is you're absolutely right. You could play it either way. Yeah, you could be well, wacky. The game itself. Yeah, the game. The game itself is based off the comic, and it's very yeah. dark and gritty. But if you wanted to run it Saturday morning, T- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, you totally could with mm-hmm. all the turtle shell puns and the turtle van and all the wackiness. You could absolutely do it and have a blast. It can be. Mm-hmm. It's entirely what type of game do you want to run? Right. And now I'm having visions of running a Saturday morning uh, cartoon RPG. (laughs) Uh, There's one that just recently updated called Cartoon Action Hour Season 3. Yes, I'll have to check that out. I'm I'm just imagining this giant cross amalgamation of all the cartoons exist in the same universe. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Now, Now, kind of going with, like, some serious games, like... Call of Cthulhu, uh, and I guess the offshoot of that, Delta Green. Um, I guess most of your World of Darkness yeah, stuff. Yeah, all your vampire, little, white wolf. Yeah, they tend to be more, more serious and gritty and dark. And I know I never got into the World of Darkness stuff. I never got into white wolf games, or I never played Vampire and a Masquerade, none of that stuff. I, that just never appealed to me. Uh, I like COC, and to a lesser degree, I liked Chill when it was out. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I like if I'm gonna. I guess it also. I guess what I'm trying to get is. I guess it depends on what mood the overall group is in. Right. What they want to play, what they feel like playing. Particularly if you're going to talk about a long campaign. Right. And uh, I think to get back to what you were saying, Matt, about like for most games that are of a humor type nature, they only maybe only good for like a one shot. Yeah. Right. Because it'll burn itself out. What I've noticed, like with my group, 
we tend to be we can run a serious game, but we're going to have our own silly moments in it and have our laughs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably more the norm when you especially when you have a group that's comfortable with each other when you're at like a convention game all bets are off on what you're going to get you could get a group of people that are just horribly silly and you're you're thinking you're running a serious game and next thing you know you're running some wacky crazy thing Mm -hmm. And, and so with convention gaming or in games where you have no idea who you're gaming with all bets are off of what you're actually going to get all you have is a framework and you just have to roll with the punches you're absolutely right when it comes to con gaming. When I went to Gen Con and ran a couple games for Dead Game Society in 2011, was it? The group that I had there for playing basic D&D didn't mind. I kind of got a feeling in, during the game. I just kind of threw in some funny stuff, and they really enjoyed it. So I went further along with it, and they really enjoyed it. But you have to kind of test them mm-hmm. right, to see what they like, to be honest. Yeah, and then that's something – that's a skill you just build at running games for lots of people over time, just running lots of con games, lots of pe- games with people you don't know so you can get a better idea of how to read them. Mm-hmm. And I think that also tends to – I think that might also come back to if you're going to talk about humor or comedy, I think most of that is going to come from the players. As a DM – I don't have to work really hard to find some hilarious moments that happen with my players. And I think a lot of us as DMs can probably say that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the funny, probably the funniest stuff, the, the, the wackiest stuff comes out of the players and what their characters do and the situations they put themselves in. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where a lot, I would say the majority of the humor comes from, not necessarily the, to the rules or the game world, but from from the players and what their characters are doing, tend to be the most hum- the tend to be the humorous things that happen. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of some examples of that over the years, but the, this is a PG rated. Yeah, podcast. I was running into. I run into the same problem. <laughs> I, well, actually, I could think of one. Uh, for example. Uh, against the Giants. They were okay. going through the, um, we were doing that uh, adventure. We were playing Hackmaster and doing uh, their version of Annihilate the Giants. Still, same adventure, pretty much. Not a whole lot different. But uh, there was two characters, and it was at the very beginning, it was these dwarves. They had their crossbows. And it was at the very beginning of the Hill Giant uh, outpost, right? Okay. They're climbing up one of the – they're both climbing up ropes to a um, – it was a lookout. It was one of the lookouts. And, and they they were um, – rolled for I think they rolled for surprise or something like that on the hill giant. But they, they both rolled a one for their two hit. They both fumbled. Okay? Okay. They hit each other. <laughs> with their crossbows. So I rolled it and I played it out. Okay, so this is how it pretty much happens. You got so excited that you caught a hill giant asleep on on post because he was drunk that when you, you drew your crossbows, you shot each other in the chest. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and humorous things like that, you know, and 
and trying to picture that scene. Uh, things like that. When one of the dwarves died, they didn't leave the body, so they put they found these barrels of salt, so they stuck the dwarf's body in a barrel of salt to keep it preserved. That dwarf is still preserved in that barrel of salt to this day. <laughs> Wouldn't it be like beef jerky by then? Or? Yeah, it's dwarf jerky now. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much. But we still got the body if they want to do a resurrect on it or a reincarnate or, or you know, resurrection or a raised dead. So <laughs> if we ever go to that back to that campaign, that's been going on seven years now that that one dwarf is in that barrel of salt <laughs> they could if they wanted to it's like still got the body it's been preserved in salt it's a little chewy <laughs> but yeah stuff like that you know <laughs> now now i'm envisioning them anytime a party member dies they just throw them in a barrel of salt and put them in like a closet for a rainy day we may yeah. need you may need you one day so we'll just keep you here just in case yeah and and, and those are and things like that like uh and you'll get running gags in your group you know yeah like one of the one of our one of the running gags in here is like it's made of rock possibly stone <laughs> yeah like in my group uh what like one of the first games we ever played together as a group, one of the players, we, we were all like trying to track, so look for something in the woods. Uh-huh. And this player rolled horribly. So bad, he saw, the when looking for footprints, he saw what he swore was a dragon's footprint. It was just a hole in the ground. He's like, it's a dragon. There's a dragon around here. <laughs> so from there on, anytime there's a failed spot roll, oh, you see, a, you found dragon footprints. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter where it's a dragon. Yeah, I would. I I sometimes play like something like a dragon. If they failed miserably, like they 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 rolled a a like a, a well, I guess depending on the roll, if it's higher or low, I guess if you rolled on ninety nine percent, it's like you tracked yourself. <laughs> yes, you found your own footprints and you, you just went in a circle. <laughs> yes, you see these feet of looks like a group of six people heavily armed trying yes. through not knowing that it's your own party's tracks yeah good job <laughs> yes. good job there uh legolas or whoever i want to call him <laughs> egolas legolas egolas 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 would make that track roll and start tracking himself he's legolas wouldn't but egolas he's without egos and that's sad yes he's just in so. search for the perfect waffle and I, I think I think as DMs we've had seen that you know little running gags that the players have made themselves little running jokes and you know just those like we gave examples of humorous situations that came up in the game that the players have done themselves with their own characters you know right so like the one time a player in my group when he uh, decided to sleep cuddled up next to a log <laughs> and that log was what it no it was just. He was snuggling with wood. Well, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, enough said. Uh, I even had humorous moments in a Call of Cthulhu game last year, I think it was. They were playing uh, the, the classic uh, haunted house uh, introductory adventure. And where they go down, uh, spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> when they go down, they find the uh, 
Corbin's corpse and it resurrects. They had I had one character. He uh, uh, they were playing a photographer. She was a photographer, a photojournalist for some magazine or some newspaper, and she was like this thing raises up. And one of the characters, he shoots it like three times and it doesn't go down. She's just standing there all stunned and she just like makes this motion with her hands like she was raising a, a, a camera and just click, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just trying to picture that whole situation. So, yeah, there's little humorous things. Even in Call of Cthulhu can happen. Yeah. So what about you, Vince? You know, running gags or running I have lots of running gags in my campaign. Like we have this one... Uh, one old wizard called Rupert that I always will bring into a campaign as a joke. He's uh has one vendetta against one character in the group, or one player in the group, I should say at this point, because every time he brings his character, no matter what the character is like, you see this old man inside the shop with a long white beard and this little scowl look on his face, his little name tag on that says Rupert, and the whole group will start blasting out in laughter. <laughs> Rupert. They know the dealings with no! this. Old- <laughs> or they'll kind of giggle and go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Just a crusty old man that likes to just rip off people. <laughs> now, one of the things that I thought about when we're talking about serious versus silly campaigns and stuff are, I guess, some of those people who where they they're playing a game mm-hmm. and they think that for example if it was call of cthulhu it's supposed to be serious so it's always serious and there's those people who no matter what they play it that way sometimes to the point where it ruins the fun for the other people if you get my drift yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah. You know, there's there's people like that even with, with D&D where they say, well, D&D should be played this way as far as being, you know, serious, you know, swords and sorcery, that's how it's supposed to be. And I kind of cock my head. I'm like, really? Have you not read through what the original Greyhawk campaign was about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> White Wolf. They White had freaking lasers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you not seen not... any of the readings of Gygax? <laughs> I know you're not into White Wolf or the World of Darkness, but a lot of the players look like that on there. So. Oh, yeah. So if there's a little humor, they get all uppity. Yeah. Yeah, they won't. Yeah. And then there's one other game I think we should mention. What's it's that? a very scary game Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. That one just came out, didn't it? Yes, it did. It came out just a few months ago. And you're ordinary house cats who must oppose the chaos cults of other animals. I I might not be – I'm not sure if I'm correct on this, but I – I did see that at yogsatoth.com. I think it's the – it's those folks who – who do yogsatoth.com. Am I right? Or I think so. It's Cthulhu.com is the name of the group. Yeah, that's, yeah so. Cthulhu.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's it's just wacky, silly, amusing. I wonder if they're the people that also made Cat the RPG, too, where you're an actual cat and have to go around pleasing your master. I was like, oh, jeez. They did that for Kinzer and Company, Dog the RPG. You'd be <laughs> a dog. <laughs> so... Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there are those people that where they they have a game system that they see. And it's like, well, it should always be played that way. 
as far as either humor or not humor. Yeah. And I find it kind of I get a chuckle out of that <laughs> when I especially when it comes to D and D. And I'm and I think to myself it, it that's why D and D is as far as the humor is pretty neutral in that aspect. You could run it either way. I, I just I, – it boggles my mind when someone says, well, you shouldn't play D&D that way because it's – you know, it should be kind of serious here. And, you know, you're a bunch of adventurers trying to, you know, find – you know, get the gold and everything. Your, your, lives, your lives are in danger the whole time. I was like, yeah, that's true. But it doesn't mean you can't have a little humor in your play, in your character's life, right? You know? No, never. No. They're, they're completely humorless dark foreboding characters in a world of that's uncaring and there's evil and and death at every turn didn't you know darker dungeons is real it is yes i want that, that movie should be coming out of gen con by the way yes the movie will be released at gen con it, it shall be glorious i wonder if they're gonna have it for free like they did with uh, gamers 3 i don't know um because because this was actually someone else bought the rights because he won a thousand dollars in the lottery. So he got the rights from that movie uh, was Chick for a thousand bucks. Well, no, he, he, the guy won the lottery, he wanted to do something with the thousand dollars he won. So he w- went and got a hold of the guy that does chick tracks and yeah, Hey, yeah. can I make your movie? And, and he was offered him like the thousand dollars to get the rights to make the movie. And then the guy was like, chick was like, sure. No, just take it, make the movie. And then at that point, that's when they actually did, like, I think a Kickstarter and got real funding because he realized he yeah. couldn't actually make a movie for $1,000. And then the people that did, uh, like, the, all the Darkness Rising and all the gamers and all of that, they got involved with it to make this movie. And they decided to play the entire thing straight. Yeah, I guess so. That's what I understand. Yeah, they're like, how do you make fun of someone and do a parody of someone who thinks Cthulhu is real? They're already a parody. Yeah, you know, they they think that, you know, D&D is satanic. And when you reach a certain level, you do learn the real power. Yes. I hope they got that in writing from Chick, because you know him, he'll probably bounce back. Oh, look at all the money they made. Yeah. Now, he's well, actually probably dead for no, all No, he's know. still alive. He I mean, is? What is he, on an iron lung or? <laughs> no, he's still alive, trust me. Wow. Still producing stuff and still going strong. Yep, Jack Chick. Yeah. So you have to pretty much, to wrap this thing up, you have to pretty much decide, based on your players, based on what you're doing, where your situation is, what type of adventure your characters will like, your characters, your players will like. Some players will just play anything just to play because they like the social aspect of it and don't really care. Then you have these hardcore players that just want to play D&D and nothing else but D&D, and that's it. And I know a few people like that. They just want to play D&D. Nothing else. And then they don't like to have fun. They're all crusty people. Yes. And they don't want to play like pony friendship games like Matt does. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's magical. Because <laughs> friendship is magic. Yes, friendship is magic. So let's head into Creature Feature Theater while we all take a rope over the banister and hang each other because <laughs> we just did it reference it four times now. Yes. <laughs> just, just, w- just wait until we get into the Creature Feature. <laughs> I know. Oh, boy. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature feature theater. It's alive! 
And now in the Creature Feature Theater, I think it'll be safe to say you've probably never done combat with this monster. You've probably never encountered it in an RPG session, but you may have encountered it at your local grocery store. It's your mom. Oh, sorry. No. If only someone would, could actually stat out my mom. Just uh, Anyways, ah, this <laughs> monster is the Keebler. The Keebler? The Keebler, created by Roger Moore, found in Dragon Magazine, issue 36, page 26. Keeblers are hobbit-sized beings, elvish in appearance, and inclined to be chubby. But as far as anyone can tell, Keeblers orient their whole lives to cooking and baking, particularly cookies and cake. Yay. Yay. They are generally carefree and sometimes make friends with small children and woodland animals. Aww. They, their hearing and eyesight prevent them from ever being surprised. They don't believe in causing mischief. They, yes. They, they also have the ability that three times a day they can create water, purify food, slow poison, create food and water, neutralize poison, locate objects, edible substances, as if they were a seventh level cleric. So wow. basically these, they take, up in the woods and they bake things and they're friends with all the little squirrels and rabbits. They, and they all originate from the great Nabisco tree. They will never <laughs> reveal the great Nabisco tree, even under duress. So waterboard them all you want. You're not, they will not reveal the great Nabisco waterboard tree. Waterboard them all you want. What? Yes. It says <gasps> even under duress, they will never divulge. The location so, of the great Nabisco tree. So waterboard so them all you want. It's not happening. Yeah, take that, Dick Cheney. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you won't be able to drone that tree. <laughs> or will you? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, story idea. But before we get to that, Keeblers can once a week, though, however, bake a special sort of cookie that causes the eater to save versus magic at minus four or be charmed by a Keebler. And the Keebler is likely to make you a baking assistant. Or if they're <laughs> evil, they'll tie you up and leave you outside a monster lair. They're also very good for supplying food to parties lost in the wilderness. So, yes, I'm, I'm envisioning what if you've got some more nefarious Keeblers who decided their little baking empire wasn't big enough. So they decided to enslave an entire town. To be their baking assistants just every day, churning away, Ooh. making cookies, making pastries, making birthday cakes. They are like charmed by somebody. Yes. Yes, the Keeblers charmed this town. What is wrong with Roger Moore? <laughs> I don't know. I just, it's interesting stats. They say number appearing one. Yes, they're very rare. I would think like 1d6 or something like that. You would think. But they're only 5% in lair? Because, yeah, they're they're out amongst the woods. Because but I think they they're lair. All the time? Yeah. You would yeah. think, oh, maybe they're collecting flour. They're mingling. Maybe it should be 50%. Yeah, maybe that's a typo. Because, yeah. Yeah, because they got Q, S, and X for treasure type in lair. They have no attacks. No attacks, but magic resistance, holy cow, that rivals most demons. 60%. With intelligence high to exceptional. Now, their alignment, I have a little bit of a, a contention with. It says neutral with good in parentheses. Shouldn't it be uncommonly good? Yes. <laughs> well, you know. Wah, wah, wah. 
And that, my friends, is what happens when you use humor in your game. You yeah. end up with puns of that nature, especially if you're using Keebler's. Alignment, uncommonly good. Yes, <laughs> and now I'm am- you would all- I think, though, these would be best used with also when you're using a leprechaun. And there's some something involving the Keeblers need the lucky charms of the leprechaun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not to mention they're also maybe looking for some fruity pebbles. They're, they're, yeah. And at that point, you end up with a breakfast cereal theme campaign. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and I have. Did you just hear that? That was the rope that broke when I went off the banister. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. The, the the things you find when you go looking in the April editions of Dragon Magazines, you end up with baking elves as your monster. Ugh. I could top you on that one, Matt. Oh, really? I just found, well, before we were doing the show, I found the rules for playing Smurfs in AD&D. No that is, way. That is no, incredible. We... Yes, I did. I just put the link in chat, and you can add that to the podcast notes. Nice. All right, that's just sick. And then, and then also, if you on the same page on Dragon Magazine issue thirty six, page twenty six, there's also a monster above it, the DM, that's listed as well. No. The D- district manager. Oh, yes, sorry. it has. It this one is by Blake Ward. Frequency too often. Number appearing always one too many. Armor class. Ooh. Class of 1974, Dwarf Hall. <laughs> Movement slow. Hit dice, a good-sized box full. Percent in lair, 100%. Treasure type, hordes. After all, somebody must have it, and the players sure don't. <laughs> Number uh-huh. attacks, your guess is as good as mine. Damage by attack. Weapon type, pencil, ruler. <laughs> Special attacks create fear by the sound of rolling dice. Yep. Special defenses, I quit or you're dead. <laughs> Magic resistance, 100. Alignment, anything but neutral. Intelligence, low than non-existent. Yes. Psionic ability, call it what you want, but he can sure make the dice perform in his favor. So, yes. The dungeon master. The dungeon master. All right, then. Yes. Stay tuned next week when Matt brings us the stats for the Rice Krispies treat, guys. Yes, snack, crapple, and pop. Rice Krispies, yay. Yay! That's just proof positive you can find anything on the internet. Yes. Yes. So I guess that's going to conclude the show on goofiness versus seriousness and all that other jazz. So uh, tune in next week when we should possibly be all back. Um I will probably throw in some recordings if I can get them properly edited for North Texas RPG Con. Mm-hmm. Open down with a bunch of people like Frank, Tim, uh, possibly more. Uh, some of the artists that will be there. I know Jeff D will be there. So, yeah, I'll try to um, get some, uh, do some reports while I'm at Origins. You know, record some stuff and I'll send them to you guys. Well, get if Matt's there with you, get a, get a hold of him, and he he usually has his recorder with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If his pregnant ankles let him get Yes, if my pregnant ankles cooperate or if I can get the appropriate hover scooter. (laughs) Get a Segway. No, that requires standing. I need need maybe a rickshaw. Do you want to pull my rickshaw, Nick? Not just no, but hell no. (laughs) 
that just sounds too way above the PG version of this podcast. So let's get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> so keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye, everyone. Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Thank you.